Welcome to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you have never been to church, walked away from church, or are struggling to find a church you connect with, you belong here. To learn more about Collective, you can follow us on social media at My Collective Church or head to www.mycollective.church. Now here's Sunday's message. When I was in college, one of my requirements for graduation as a pastoral ministry major was that I had to do a summer internship. And I could pick any church in any location as long as they were willing to have me as an intern. So naturally, I picked a church in the amazing vacation city of Cleveland, Ohio. My options were limited. Uh, I wanted to do an internship at a church plant, and I didn't know any church plants in New York or Paris. And so I only knew of one guy. Uh, His name was Dan Smith. He was the lead pastor of Momentum Christian Church in Cleveland. And so the positive was that I could get real hands-on experience in a church plant. The negative was that it was in Cleveland. (laughs) And even though it was summer, it was probably going to snow the whole time because all they talk about is lake effect snow. That's all they care about up there. And so when my junior year ended, I packed up my truck and I drove north toward Canada, stopping just short in the Cleve. And I'd never been to Cleveland before, but I knew that it was a city that was struggling. Cleveland is a rust belt city, which are cities that once had booming economies and massive growth before recession and manufacturing changes ultimately destroyed them. And I remember the first weekend I was there, I went driving around the community because I wanted to know what type of community I would be serving in. And one thing I noticed was that there are abandoned buildings everywhere, relics of what the city used to be. Uh, To be honest, it reminds me a little bit of Baltimore. And just like Baltimore, there were bright spots because they were trying to do their best to turn things around. And one of those bright spots was the City View Shopping Center. City View was a beacon of light in a beat-down community. Right off the main highway of 480, it was a brand-new development. It was one of their first new developments in years. It had a Starbucks, Chipotle, Applebee's, Steak and Shake, and Penn Station, which you've ever had before. It's it's a really good sub-place. There's Walmart, Dick's Sporting Goods, PetSmart, Joann's, Marshall's, and Giant Eagle. And that was just phase one. Phase two, which was about to start, included a Chick-fil-A, Home Depot, B-Dubs, Panera, and JCPenney. And there were even rumors of a Target. And I know that it sounds weird that a shopping center can give hope to a community, but just think about how excited we all got when Warehouse Cinemas opened up on the Golden Mile. It represented jobs, it represented growth, it represented something new in a place that had seen a lot of decline. And every single day, the shopping center was packed. I spent a lot of time at that Starbucks. The drive-thru was always wrapped around the building. That's the place where I did my shopping. That's the place where I hung out with my friends, and it was great. After my summer internship, I went back to Milligan College for my senior year, and I convinced Ray that after we graduated and got married, we should move to Cleveland because I was offered a full-time job at Momentum. So that's what we did. And the first weekend we were there, we were setting up our very first apartment as a married couple, and so we drove to the City View Walmart, but when we got there, it was closed. And not just closed because like, we came a little bit late, but like completely empty without it being tr- a trace of a Walmart. It had real, like, Walking Dead vibes going on in there. Then we noticed that the building next to it was empty, and then the next building. In the nine months that I'd been gone from Cleveland, Walmart, Joanne Fabrics, PetSmart, PetSmart, and Circuit City had all left. The road that was leading to phase two just stopped and turned into a gravel lot. And then a year later, all the other big box stores left with the exception of Giant Eagle. And today, that shopping center 
is a ghost town. You can check it out. It still looks like this today. This was about 10 years old as a shopping center. And here's why this happened. The City View Shopping Center was built on top of a landfill. You heard that right? It's very Cleveland of them, a landfill. Uh, In the early 70s, the city's dump had been filled to capacity, and so they chose this hill where the empty City View Shopping Center now sits to dump all their trash, including toxic chemicals. After filling up that location in 1979, they covered up the landfill, and it sat until the early 2000s when construction started. So they built this entire shopping center, and then within a few years, they noticed that the buildings were starting to sink into the landfill. The foundations of the buildings and the parking lots began to crack. Methane gas began to spill up into the buildings and out into the atmosphere. While living there, we actually walked around and in some of the abandoned stores, and you could see the markings on the buildings that showed that they had sunk multiple feet into the ground because their foundation was literally trash. And it didn't matter how great of a shopping center, how great the shopping center looked and what stores were there, because below the surface, I hate holding a handheld. All right, so here's the deal. I didn't do this last time I had a handheld, so the way I do my papers is super weird. I go like every other, so I'm just gonna throw them behind me while I'm speaking, because if not, then you're just gonna hear me repeating myself over and over again. So that's what's gonna happen, just ignore it. Maybe I'll crumple it up, maybe catch it. I don't know, we're not gonna do that. Um, But below the surface, it was garbage and toxicity, and so because of that, everything fell apart. And this is just like life. If we try to build our marriage on a foundation that is unhealthy, toxic, and full of garbage, it will eventually catch up to us and our marriages will struggle and potentially fall apart. If we try to have healthy friendships but there are years of us burying our past and refusing to deal with the pain and working through those things, it doesn't matter how great our friends are, eventually the past pain will make its presence known. If we want to take control of our finances, but below the surface, there's debt that's out of control, bad spending practices, and a lack of a plan for the future, we will end up with a pile of garbage covered in grass. And that might be too literal, but you understand what I'm saying. If the things that matter to us in our life are built on a foundation that is unstable and unhealthy, it will lead to destruction. Sorry, guys. (laughs) I'm going to, like, trip on it or something. Uh, But that idea leads us to the fifth value in our home series. Over the past five weeks, we've been going through our core values of our church, the things that make collective, collective. And today, we're talking about our value of being rooted in truth. So some of you thought it was going to be endless second chances because of this sweet shirt, but you're just going to have to come back next week to figure out what this is for. And so it's rooted in truth today, and so I want to talk to you for a minute about what that word rooted means. Proverbs 12.3 says the godly have deep roots. Proverbs 12.12 says the godly are well-rooted and bear their own fruit. And I love this word and this imagery because a tree that is rooted is strong. A tree that is rooted will produce good fruit. A tree that is rooted can withstand a storm. One Saturday, while Ray and I were living in Johnson City, Tennessee, we moved from Cleveland. Uh, It was depressing and it snowed a lot, so we moved to Johnson City, Tennessee. And while we were living there, we got an alert that there was a tornado warning. And I remember being at work and actually walking out the front doors, and I could see the funnel cloud a few miles away. And you could actually feel the wind hitting you. A few days after the storm, Ray and I were driving, and we came upon some of the destruction, and it was unreal. 
Because of the mountains, you could actually see, and because of the elevation, you could literally see the path of the tornado as it zigzagged its way down the mountain, across the highway, and then into the town across the street. But here's what's amazing about it. It didn't level all the trees. In fact, most of the trees were still standing, even though you could see the exact path that the tornado took, and it was right on top of some of those trees. And it's because they were rooted. And because they were rooted, they could withstand the storm. And that's the picture of what we want to be. Right? Life has storms. Jesus promised that here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. Life will be hard. There are times in our life that will bring pain. There are times in our life that will bring confusion. There are times in our life where we want to be in control and won't be. And if we want to be able to get through these storms, we need to be rooted. Now, being rooted doesn't mean you'll get through these trials unscathed. And I want that to be clear. And we talk about this a lot at Collective. Most of the trees that made it through the storm had broken branches. There was bark that was missing. They had leaves that had been ripped off. So being rooted doesn't make everything easy. It doesn't make everything fun. But it will help us get through to the other side still standing. And the thing that keeps us rooted and able to withstand whatever storm we are facing now or in the future is truth. But what is truth? Because I think we'd all agree that right now it's really hard to tell what truth is anymore. Truth is very subjective right now. So let's check out what Jesus says about this. In John 17, 17, Jesus says this, make them holy by your truth, teach them your word, which is truth. Right? Jesus says that God's word is truth. So when we say that we are rooted in truth, we are saying that God's words are our roots. God's words are our foundation. The phrase God's word is just another way of saying the Bible or scripture, they're all synonyms. So rooted in truth means that we trust in scripture because we believe it leads to the best life possible. We want our foundation to be God's word. We want to be rooted in truth. And just like every value that we've talked about in this series, there are two responses to this. There's the collective response, like how we function as a church, and then there's our response, how we live as individuals. So here's what this means for collective as a church. Collective is rooted in truth. And when I say collective, I mean what we teach here from stage, because I understand that not every single person here would say that they are rooted in truth, and that's okay. Um, collective is a place where you can belong before you believe. And the, and the thing is, there are also people here that believe, but are still wrestling with some of what the Bible teaches. But from time to time, I'll get an email or I'll have a conversation with someone, and they'll ask, where does collective stand when it comes to fill in the blank, right? Or what does collective believe in regard to this topic? And if we've had a conversation like that, you know how this goes. I always start by saying collective teaches what the Bible teaches. It is not about my opinion. It is not about that one leader who said that one thing that one time. It's not about a denominational tradition. We're not denominational. It's about God's word. What does scripture say? So that's what we're gonna teach. And one of the core values of our movement of churches is that where the Bible speaks, we speak, and where the Bible is silent, we are silent. So the best way to know what we teach is to read your Bible. And if in reading your Bible, you get thrown off by something, if it confuses you, if you have questions, if you feel like it doesn't make sense, I love answering those questions. Come find me after church. I'd love to walk you through it or give you the best answer or the best resources that I have available to me. But collective is rooted in truth. But what about us? Because the reality is that we are all rooted in something that we believe is truth. 
There's always something in our life that ultimately dictates how we live, how we treat others, what our priorities are, how we respond to the peaks and valleys of our life. Whether we are aware of it or not, we are rooted in something that we believe is truth. So we have to ask ourselves, where does our truth come from? What is the foundation for how we view marriage? What is the foundation for the way we view parenting, how we view trauma, how we deal with addiction, how we view sexuality? And this might not be something that you can actually fully answer right now, and that's okay, but I would encourage you to write it down and really think about it this week as you make decisions, as your feelings respond to things. Try to figure out where does your truth come from? Where does my truth come from? Does truth come from yourself? Do you kind of just make it up as you go? Do what you want when you want. You decide what is right and wrong. Maybe because of life experiences. Ultimately, you're saying that you are the ultimate truth in your life. Really, you're saying that you are the God of your own life. Does ultimate truth come from the way you were raised? Does it come from your mom or your dad or another adult that was placed in your life? This is one that a lot of us default to until we get married and have kids and realize that our parents aren't perfect. Then we realize that the roots we set in truth of our parents are not as strong as we thought they were. Honestly, this is one of the reasons why I encourage everybody to go to therapy, because once you come to that realization, it's kind of shocking, and you need to go talk to somebody about it. But a lot of our issues as adults come from the fact that we believe truth came from our parents, and we've learned that the truth that they shared to us was incomplete or formed from our parents' own bias and pain and trauma. Does truth in your life come from politics? Do your political views dictate how you treat people? Are you more interested in a party line than what Jesus taught? Do your political views help you weather the storms of your life? Or if you're being honest, do they cause more storms? How about culture? Does culture decide what truth is in your life? Society is cool with it, so I am too. Society thinks that sex is just something you do instead of something designed by God for marriage between a husband and a wife. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Scripture teaches us that sex literally bonds us to another person physically, mentally, spiritually, and emotionally. But culture will say, try it before you buy it. So where does your truth come from? Culture says that building up your own wealth will lead to happiness. Scripture says that it's more blessed to give than receive. Culture says that it doesn't matter who or what we worship because all paths lead to heaven. But Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and life, and nobody gets to the Father except through me. So where does your truth come from? Culture? Social media, that influencer who's 18 years old and still lives in his basement with his mom and his dad but has like these really sick dance moves? Is it my feelings? Do I allow my feelings to dictate how I live my life? I mean, feelings are a good thing. We all have them. We all need to figure out how to express them in a healthy way. The Bible talks a lot about sorrow and joy and anger and peace. But are your feelings what dictates truth in your life? One pastor said it like this, my feelings are not God, God is God. My feelings do not define truth, God's word defines truth. My feelings are echoes and responses to what my mind perceives. And sometimes, many times, my feelings are out of sync with the truth. When that happens, and it happens every day in some measure, I try not to bend the truth to justify my imperfect feelings. But rather, I plead with God, purify my perceptions of your truth and transform my feelings so that they are in sync with the truth. So does your truth come from an astrological sign, from where you grew up from social media? Where does your truth come from? And listen, your parents and your feelings and your past experiences all can be good things. 
Right? They can all lead to wisdom. They can all lead to growth. But they can't be the source of truth in your life. Ultimate truth can only come from God and his word. And it can't just be the parts you like, right? It can't just be like, I'm going to take all of the grace, but none of the truth. I'm going to take all of the worthiness and self-identity, but none of the actual repentance and changing who I am. I'm going to take all of the faith, but none of the action. If you are picking and choosing what biblical truth you are obedient to, you aren't really choosing truth. It's half truth mixed with your feelings, half truth mixed with culture, half truth mixed with politics. But that isn't truth. And the reason we believe scripture is the ultimate source of truth isn't just because Jesus says it is, even though that's a pretty good reason. It's because he died and rose from the grave. It's because he promised that he would be executed on a cross, then conquered death, and then he did it. And then the people who saw it happen started the church in response to what they saw. Then they wrote about it so that we can read about it today. And many of those people were killed because of what they saw. Right? And so if my parents died and resurrected from the dead, I would take what they say as the ultimate truth. If that politician conquered death, if that TikToker rose from the grave, I would take what they say as ultimate truth. If my feelings or my astrological sign or social media took on the sins of the world and then beat death, then that would be my source of truth. But only Jesus did that. Now, I strictly want to talk to Christians for a second, people who say they follow Jesus, um, because it's really easy to dismiss this topic for yourself and think it's only for people who are doubting or skeptical or seek truth from other places. But we of all people need to ask ourselves again, where does our truth come from? Is it from scripture or is it from a person? Your parents, your pastor, how about social media? Check this out. MIT just released a new study where they found that 19 of the top 20 ranked Christian Facebook pages were fake. And you've seen them before. They're titled as like, Jesus is my Lord, purpose of life, light of the world, bless, blessedness, blessed assurance, a million blessed things. And they promote generic content such as Bible verses, inspirational stories, and encouraging lessons. But they were created by Eastern European troll farms that stole content from legitimate pages and reposted it on their own sites. And MIT found that it was all part of an elaborate effort that used engaging social media contact to attract large and unsuspecting audiences to pages where they also distributed partisan political stories designed to influence voters and divisive stories about hot-button issues like race and sexuality designed to pit Americans against Americans. That's 19 of the top 20 Christian Facebook pages. And here's why I share this. A lot of those Facebook pages did share legitimate Bible verses. But if your scripture reading comes from Facebook pages that you follow, you are building a foundation on a giant pile of garbage. Right? The best place for you to find truth is actually reading your Bible. Don't take shortcuts. Because what happens when we end up taking short, shortcuts is we end up receiving truth from a source that, source that isn't the Bible, and we end up with twisted versions of Scripture, or in a lot of cases today, with watered-down versions of Scripture. And when you aren't rooted in God's Word, and you or someone you love goes through something hard, you end up saying things like, everything happens for a reason, or let go and let God, or it's all part of God's plan, or other pithy Christian statements that are just bad lip-reading of the Bible, And the truth is, you end up doing more damage to yourself and others because you are sharing half-truths and false-truths. Instead of just saying, this is what Jesus says, John 16, 33, this is the whole thing. He says, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you'll have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Isn't that better? 
Like if you were going through something hard in your life, wouldn't you rather hear that than let go and let God? Wouldn't you rather hear Jesus saying, hey, you're gonna go through some crap and you can have peace because that's part of life, but also understand that I'm bigger than this world. Right? What would you rather receive if you were in that position? So be rooted in scripture, not the scripture your grandma quoted, not the scripture that shows up on your Facebook thread, not the scripture that that one guy on Instagram says he's reading, the scripture that's found in the Bible. And the same is true for me. And I'm being very serious right now. Your truth cannot be rooted in me or this church. I promise you that I do my best every single week to teach what scripture teaches while making the Bible more approachable. But I am not your cheat code for the Bible. I am not your truth. And this is part of the reason why I tell you that you should take notes every week and write things down because honestly, you should go home and reread it and double check me. I can put whatever I want on the screen. That doesn't mean it's truth. And so you should be writing it down and reading it for yourself because we want to be rooted in truth, not our feelings, not our parents, not culture, scripture. And here's why. This is what Jesus says in John 8. It says this, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus said that. And that's what we want, isn't it? We want to be rooted in truth because we want to experience freedom, which is what Jesus promises. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You know, every week, our hosts get up here, and they encourage you to fill out digital connection cards. And they ask you to share your prayer requests so the staff and leaders of this church can pray for you. And this is probably one of the best ways that we care for people at Collective. And every week we get a message and we read these prayer requests. And every week I read these prayer requests. And they'll say things like, pray for my marriage, pray for my family, pray for my mental health, my anger, my addiction, my shame, my fears. And in one way or another, when we share these prayer requests, we're asking Jesus to set us free. Here's what I mean. A lot of people write down, pray for my marriage. And they're asking for a prayer for healing because trust was broken. Or they're asking for a prayer for the ability to love their spouse in a way that leads them to Jesus. They're asking for a prayer because they feel like their life and their marriage are hanging on by a thread. And if you are in God's word every day, here's something that you will read. 1 Corinthians 13, we read this in our marriage series. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. So if you're struggling in your marriage and you're in God's word daily, trusting Jesus set you free, you're gonna start treating your spouse with honor, not in reaction to what they did or what they deserve, but because of the person you are and your character. You're gonna be patient and kind you're gonna to speak to them in a way that builds them up, regardless of what she said or the promise that he broke. And if they're mean to you, you won't retaliate. And I'm not saying that this will absolutely fix your marriage, but it might. Let's be honest. It's a whole lot better at fixing your marriage than what you're trying to do right now. Let's talk about loneliness, right? We feel loneliness more than ever right now. And so it feels like a season, but it feels like it might be forever. And so you try to put yourself out there, but it's not working. Or you find yourself in a new state or at a new job, or maybe your friends moved away and you have your hobbies and you have your faith and you have those shows that you love. But what you really want to do is share your hobbies with someone, watch TV with someone, go out to eat after church with someone who is genuinely excited to see you. 
And if you don't have that and you dwell on that long enough, it can lead to some really dark places. But if you are in God's word every day, here's what you'll read. This is Psalm 68. A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows. This is God whose dwelling is holy. God sets the lonely in families. The word family simply means homes. God gives the lonely a home. We read in Matthew 28, Jesus says this, and be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And so if you're in God's word daily, trusting Jesus set you free, then when you get to that really lonely place, you don't give up. You don't throw in the towel or do something drastic because you have the promise of community. And you don't know if it'll take one week or three years, but you know with faith that God doesn't want you to be alone and that there's a hope for true community and people that you can call family. And as you work through that loneliness, you know that you're never truly alone because Jesus promises that he's with you. Or maybe you're struggling with self-worth. You feel like you hate yourself. You don't know why anyone would love you, and it dictates how you live your life. And every day you wake up just thinking you're the absolute worst. But if you are reading your Bible, here's something you'll read. James 1, and we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. Or Hebrews 12, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. If you are in God's word daily, trusting Jesus set you free, you will realize that you are his prized possession that you are his joy, and that he was willing to endure the cross just to have a relationship with you, that your value doesn't come from your job or your relationships or your mistakes. It comes from the God of the universe. It comes from a God who brings truth into our lives. So here's the challenge for this week, and it's really simple. It's something we've already talked about in this series. Um, The challenge is this. Read your Bible every day this week. You can go old school and grab a paper Bible. You can download the Bible on Audible or listen to it on Spotify. Someone else will read it to you. There's like a British version, even if you're like into that stuff. You can download version as the Bible app. This is actually what I suggest. And if you're afraid that if you go out alone, you're gonna fail, you can actually connect with other people on the app and read through the same plans together. I do this with some of my friends. Right now, we are reading through the book of Proverbs together and they motivate me to do it. In fact, if I wasn't in a group doing this, I wouldn't do it every single day. They're so much better at it than I am, but they help me get better. They help me make sure that after my hard days, I open it up and I read. And listen, the goal is daily, so I just want you to make progress. Wherever you are, just take one little step forward, right? One hour a day, awesome. 30 minutes a day, awesome. Five minutes a day, awesome. Whatever you can do, set aside time each day to read your Bible, And listen, I'm under no illusion that reading the Bible every day will magically transform your life. But it will start to because you're setting down roots. And I know some of you are thinking, I don't really follow Jesus or I'm super skeptical about what the Bible teaches, so this isn't really for me. But I'd push back and say, this is probably more for you than anybody else. Those of you who don't follow Jesus should be reading your Bible just to make sure. And if someone asks you why you're reading your Bible, just tell them that you're looking for loopholes. But think about this, you would never buy a car without taking it for a test drive. Why would you reject Jesus without putting him to the test? So read the Bible every single day for this week. If you do that, try a month. If you do that, try a few months, then try a year. Because the worst you can say at the end of that is that you tried. And the thing is, I I know it won't let you down, but at least give it a shot. So wherever you are, uh, whether you're a hardcore atheist or a hardcore follower of Jesus and whatever you are dealing with, whether your life is growing great or you're just trying to keep breathing, Jesus is trying to set you free through his word. So will you put Jesus to the test?
Right? We say, Jesus, I'm in for every day this week, for a few weeks, for a few months, and maybe even the whole year. Right? I'm going to read my Bible just to see if your truth will set me free. Let's pray. God, um, we are so thankful that we don't have to decide what truth is because it's exhausting. Uh, and it was exhausting a few years ago, but I think all of us would say it's even more exhausting right now because it's so hard to know what is right and what is wrong, what is truth, what is a lie, and how that impacts us. And God, ultimately, we have this peace because we know that we don't have to decide. God, that it's not up to us because you tell us that your word is truth. So God, I, I pray this week as we go throughout the next seven days, we try to figure out what our truth is rooted in. God, is it you? Is it culture? Is it our past experiences? Is it our pain? Is it our trauma? Is it some weird mix of all of those things? And God, ultimately help us move closer to letting your word be the ultimate truth in our life. And God, I pray for everybody who chooses this week to take a step forward in their Bible reading. And God, I, I pray that everybody who gives it a shot moves closer to you, but God, ultimately, that they feel that freedom. And God, that if they, they try to do it this week and they miss a day, that they don't feel shame, they don't feel guilt, they just pick up the next day and they keep going. Because God, ultimately, you just want us in your word. We're not gonna be perfect at it. It's not always gonna connect. But God, I pray that every single day this week we try. We try to experience that freedom that you have for us. God, thank you that we don't have to make truths on our own that we can receive truth from you. God, I pray that that truth gives us freedom. God, we love you. Pray these things in your name. Amen.